Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Idiot Book Nook. Sorry. You're good. Give me one second. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast. My name is Blazewing. I, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Lainey Punnett. My pronouns are primarily she, her, or sometimes they, them. It is a she, her day today, it seems. Awesome. So we don't have to do our disclaimer like we did for the Harry Potter series, but we do have some housekeeping to get through. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on social medias, you can find us all on Linktree. We all have our um, separate Linktree addresses. Lady Punnett, you can find at link, uh, lanktr.ee slash paulina.avalon. Reading Dragon, you can find at lanktr.ee slash thereadingdragon. And you can find myself at lanktr.ee slash blazewing2010. If you would like to take a look at our podcast feed or leave us a voice message that we can play on the podcast episodes, you are more than welcome to do so at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook. And if you'd like to take a look at our website, that's idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. I will eventually have a link tree made up for the podcast here, and I can basically just link to that. But for right now, it is what it is. Yeah. So chapter six, huh? We're getting on yep. with chapter six. Yep. I took mm -hmm. a look, and there's 44 chapters to this book. Oh. Something like that, at least from yeah. what I could see. So we're going to be here for a bit. Hey. Yay. Thank you for coming along the ride with me as we, as, as I take you to revisit this series with me. If you'd like to support our podcast hosts, you can do so with their individual link trees and show their support. Uh, eventually, the hope is to have something up for the podcast itself if we gain an audience, but I don't want to go whoring that out until we uh, until we gain a bit of an audience because that is not the primary focus of this. It is to enjoy books and all of that jazz. But I'm just going to throw that out there in case you guys decide you want to. So, with that or being said... Or some of us can just whore it out for you. I mean, that works... <laughs> pull up my notes here to make sure I did not forget anything. Do, 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 do. Uh, I don't I'm think have I myself don't a roll. Do I don't think I do. Uh, you can. Sorry. You can help. Uh, according to our uh, podcast feed, you can also find us on six different podcast streaming sites. So we are out there and we have. Well, this is episode 22 now, but I guess without. Without further ado, narrator, would you take it away with chapter six, please? Let me put my Rolo down. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> the Bartimaeus Trilogy, book one, The Amulet of Samarkand by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by the Reading Dragon, voice acted by Blazewing2010 and Lady Punnett. Chapter 6. Bartimaeus The problem with a highly magical artifact, such as the Amulet of Samarkand, is that it has a distinctive pulsating aura that attracts attention like a naked man at a funeral. I knew that no sooner had Simon Lovelace been informed of my escapade 
then he would send out searchers looking for the telltale pulse. And that the longer I remained in one place, the more chance there was of something pinpointing it. The boy would not summon me until dawn, so I had several restless hours to survive first. What might the magician send after me? He was unlikely to command many other jinn of Fakwarl's and Jabor's strength, but he would certainly be able to whip up a host of weaker servants to join in on the hunt. Ordinarily, I can dispose of foliots and the like with one claw tied behind my back, but if they arrived in large numbers and I was weary, things might become difficult. So let's just take a moment here. Footnotes. All living things have auras too. They take the form of a colored nimbus surrounding the individual's body and are in fact the closest a visual phenomenon gets to becoming a smell. Auras do exist in the first plane, but are all, but are invisible to most humans. Many animals, such as cats, can see them. Jinn and a few exceptional persons likewise. Auras change color depending on mood and are useful indications of fear, hatred, sorrow, etc. This is why it's hard to deceive a cat or a jinny uh, when you wish it ill. Two. It would have been a lot more agreeable to return to the urchin uh, immediately to rid myself of the amulet, but magicians almost always insist on specific summonses at specific times. It removes the possibility of us catching that, them at a potentially fatal disadvantage. And three, even magicians are confused by our infinite varieties, which are uh, as different as uh, which are as different from one another as elephants are from insects or eagles or amoeba. However broadly, however, broadly speaking, there are five basic ranks that you are likely to find working in a magician's surface, service. These are, in descending order of power and general awe, marids, afrits, jinn, foliates, and imps. There are legions of lowly sprites that are weaker than imps, but magicians, are, but magicians rarely bother summoning these. Likewise, far above marids exist great entities of terrible power. They are seldom seen on Earth, since few magicians dare even uncover their names. A detailed knowledge of this hierarchy is vitally important for both magicians and for us, since survival frequently depends on knowing exactly where you stand. For example, as a particularly fine specimen of jinni, I treat other jinn and anything above my rank with a certain degree of courtesy, but give foliates and imps short shrift. I flew from Hampstead at top speed and took shelter under the eaves of a deserted house beside the Thames, where I preened my feathers and watched the sky. After a time, seven small spheres of red light passed across the heavens at low altitude. When they reached the middle of the river, they split forces. Three continued south, two went west, two east. I pressed myself deep into the shadows of the roof. But I couldn't help notice the amulet giving an extra vibrant throb as the questing spheres disappeared downriver. This unnerved me. Shortly afterward, I departed to a girder. Uh, I departed to a girder halfway up a crane, on the opposite bank, where they were erecting a swanky riverside condo for the magical gentry. Five silent minutes passed. The river sucked and whirled around the muddy posts of the wharf. Clouds passed over the moon. A sudden green and sickly light 
flared in all the windows of the deserted house on the other side of the river. Hunched shadows moved within it, searching. They found nothing. The light congealed and became a glowing mist that drifted from the windows and was blown away. Darkness shrouded the house again. I flew south at once, darting and swooping from street to street. For half the night, I continued my frantic, fugitive dance across London. The spheres were out in even greater numbers than I had feared. Evidently, more than one magician had summoned them, and appeared above me at regular intervals. To keep safe, I had to keep moving, and even when, in, and even then, I was nearly caught twice. Once I flew around an office block and nearly collided with a sphere coming the other way. Another came upon me as, overcome with exhaustion, I huddled in a birch tree in Green Park. On both occasions, I managed to escape before reinforcements arrived. Lady Punnett, would you care to take mm. number four? Search spheres like these are kind of sturdy imps. They possess giant scaly ears and a single bristled nostril which makes them particularly sensitive to magical pulsations and extremely irritable when exposed to any loud noises or pungent smells. For some of the nights, I was consequently forced to bunker down in the middle of Rotherheath? Rotherheath or Rotherheath, I think? Rotherheath Sewers Sewage Works. Before long, I was on my last wings, the constant drag of supporting my physical form was wearing me down and using up precious energy. So I decided to adopt a different plan. To find a place where the amulet's pulse would be drowned out by other magical emissions. It was time to mingle with the many-headed multitude. The great unwashed. In other words, with people. I was that desperate i love that inflection in your voice <laughs> he's an introvert yes i flew back to the center of the city even at this late hour the tourists in trafalgar square still still flowed around the base of nelson's column in a gaudy tide buying cut price charms from the official vending booths wedged between the lions a cacophony of magical pulses rose up from the square. It was as a good of a place as anywhere else to hide. A bolt of feathered lightning plunged down out of the night and disappeared into the narrow space between two stalls. Presently, a young, sad-eyed Egyptian boy emerged and elbowed his way into the throng. He wore new blue jeans and a padded black bomber jacket over a white t-shirt. Also, a pair of big white trainers with laces that were constantly coming loose. He mingled with the crowd. I felt the amulet burning against my chest. At regular intervals, it sent out little waves of intense heat in double bursts, like heartbeats. I fervently hoped that the signal would now be swallowed by the auras all around, much of the magic here was all show, no substance. The plaza was littered with licensed quacks, selling minor charms and trinkets that had been approved by the authorities for common use. Wide-eyed tourists from North America and Japan 
eagerly probed the stacks of multicolored stones and gimcrack jewelry, trying to recall the birth signs of their relatives back home while being patiently prompted by the cheery Cockney vendors. If it weren't for the camera bulbs flashing, I might have been back in Karnak. Bargains were being struck, happy cries rang out, everyone was smiling. It was a timeless tableau of gullibility and greed. Lady Punnett, number five. Particular popper popular were shards of crystal that were purported purported mm-hmm. purported to exclude life enhancing auras Exude. people hung them around their necks for good luck the shards had no magical properties whatsoever but i suppose in one way they did have a protective fu- function people wearing them immediately advertised themselves to the magical ignomuses ignoramuses ignore yeah and as a result, they were ignored for the many factions of feuding magicians. In London, it was dangerous for a person to have even the slightest magical training. Then one became useful and or dangerous, and as a result, fair game for other mu- magicians. But not everything in the square was trivial. Here and there, rather more sober-faced men stood in the entrance to small closed tents. Visitors were admitted to these one by one. Evidently, there were artifacts of genuine value inside, since without exception, small watchers loitered near each booth. They came in various unobtrusive forms, pigeons mostly. I avoided going too close in case they were more perceptive than they looked. A few magicians wandered about amid the crowd. They were unlikely to be buying anything here. More probably, they were doing the night shift in the government offices in Whitewall and had come out for a breather. One, in a good suit, had an accompanying second-plane uh, second imp hopping at his heel. The others, more shabbily attired, simply trailed the telltale odor of incense, dried sweat, and candle wax. The police were present, too. Several ordinary constables and a couple of hairy, hatchet-faced men from the night police keeping themselves just visible enough to prevent trouble. And all around the square, the car lights swirled, carrying ministers and other magicians from their offices in Parliament to their clubs at at St. James. What? To their clubs at St. James's. I was near the hub of a great wheel of power that extended over an empire, and here, with luck, I would remain undetected until I was finally summoned. Or possibly not. I had sauntered over to a particularly tatty-looking stall, and was examining its fare when I had the uneasy feeling that I was being watched. I turned my head a little and scanned the crowd. An amorphous mass. I checked the planes. No hidden dangers. A bovine herd, all of it dull and human. I turned back to the stall and absently picked picked up my magic mirror, a piece of cheap glass glued into a frame of pink plastic and feebly decorated with wands, cats, and wizard's hats. 
There it was again. I turned my body sharply. Through a gap in the crowd, directly behind me, I could see a short, plump, female magician. A bunch of kids clustered around a st a bunch of kids clustered round a stand, and a policeman eyeing them suspiciously. No one seemed to have the slightest interest in me, but I knew what I'd felt. Next time, I'd be ready. I made a big show of considering the mirror. Another great gift from London, magic capital of the world, screamed the label on its back. Made in tight. Then the feeling came again. I swiveled quicker than a cat and success. I caught the starer's eyeball to eyeball. Two of them, a boy and a girl, from within the gaggle of kids. They didn't have time to drop their gaze. The boy was in his mid-teens. Acne was laying siege to his face with some success. The girl was younger, but her eyes were cold and hard. I gazed back. What did I care? They were human. They couldn't see what I was. <laughs> Let them stare. After a few seconds, they couldn't handle it. They looked away. I struggled. I shrugged and made to move off. There was a loud cough from the man on the stand. I replaced my magic mirror carefully on its tray, gave him a cheesy smile, and went my way. The children followed me. I caught sight of them at I caught sight of them at the next booth, watching from behind a candy floss stand. They were moving in a huddle, maybe five or six of them. I couldn't be sure. What did they want? A mugging? If so, why pick me out? There were dozens of better, faster... Um, there were dozens of better, fatter, richer candidates here. To test this, I cozied up to a very small, wealthy-looking tourist with a giant camera and thick spectacles. If I'd wanted to mug someone, he'd have been top of my list. But when I left him and went to a loop through the crowd, the children followed right along too. Weird. And annoying. I didn't want to make a change and fly off. I was too wary. All I wanted was to be left in peace. I still had many hours to go before the dawn. I spit it... I sped up. The children did so, too. Long before we'd done three circuits of the square, I'd had enough. A couple of policemen had watched us beetling around, and they were likely to halt us soon, if only to stop themselves getting dizzy. It was time to go. Whatever the kids were after, I did not want any more attention drawn to me. There was a subway, there was a subway close by. I hot-footed it down the steps ignored the entrance to the underground, and came up again on the other side of the road, opposite the central square. The kids had vanished. Maybe they were in the subway. Now was my chance. I slipped around a street corner, along past a bookshop, and ducked down an alley. I waited a little there, in the shadows among the dumpster bins. A couple of cars drove past the end of the alley, no one came after me. I allowed myself a brief smile. I thought I'd lost them. Well, I was wrong. And thus ends chapter six of the Amulet of Samarkand.
Yep. Who wants to go first for thoughts? Poor Bartimaeus. Children are being dumb. Uh, yep. And messing with things they do not understand. Unless it is a disguise. That's actually what I was thinking, because he's trying to be sneaky. He's seen something, he's felt something watching him, and suddenly these kids are following him. And so far, just stick with me here, so far there is nothing saying that a demon or a creature cannot hide itself as multiple things. So say a throng of school children. Yep. I mean, we read in the last chapter that, um the cluster of imps in the office were basically doing everything they can to keep still. That being said, who's to say that multitudes of uh, beings and whatnot cannot change themselves into a group of kids either? We have no information on whether or not those imps were a single being or whether they are separate, which leads me to believe that they were supposed to be painted as separate beings. But I'm starting to get the feeling here that either the children are multiple creatures or they're one creature disguising itself. That being said, there's no magical aura coming from these kids. Not At least that not that we were yet. not that we were made aware of. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think there might be because he was feeling something, and it took him a couple tries to finally realize it was the kids. So. There might be some kind of aura coming off of them, just not something in a visual sense, but more of a uh, sense, uh, but more of a uh, invisible sensory sense. Yeah. Hi, not Why you. are you wet? Uh, did you get a shower recently? No. Do you, he might have cleaned himself. He wouldn't be this. Are your paws wet? No. So you didn't go in the toilet, at least. <laughs> Yeah, he probably just cleaned himself, or maybe Nugget cleaned him. Maybe. Could be. Alright, you're going to be used as a pad now. <laughs> um, Accept your role. So, that little gimmicky thing that he was picked up, that he picked up off of the table, and or off the counter, and was examining. The My mm -hmm. Magic Mirror. Mm-hmm. First thing, trademarked. Mm-hmm. Which tells me it's probably just a cheap gimmick. Mm-hmm. At least in the magical sense. Second. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Give me one second. <laughs> Russian mm -hmm. components, American components, all made in Taiwan! <laughs> At least they weren't made in China. Do you mind? I need you. I can't see. <laughs> so I can't we, see. We have a... We For those of you that can't see, uh, we have a cat currently trying to get Lady Punnett's attention completely and utterly and oh my god pay attention to me mommy you're not paying attention to me why are you not paying attention to me all of the attention ever please give me scritches oh I'm here can you see me yet give me love mom yeah just quoted that in another stream last night yeah <laughs> <sighs> my god cat I need to give you a brush where's your brush Um, Where were we? So I was talking about the My Magic Mirror and the uh, it being made in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Also, also, I like to point out that it is sounding like... Because uh... I thought at first it was going to be like how most magical communities are hidden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But it's sounding like that's not the case. Nope. They, they were talking have... about the constables and stuff. Yeah. There's, like, rules and regulations to blend things in just enough to keep people entertained and keep some sort of belief, but not be as open as some would want to be. Yeah. Which is kind of... So basically you have to find it to see it. They don't make it obvious, but they don't exactly hide it. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like oh something weird over th- weird happened over there versus something weird happened over there that's not normal that seems like magic yeah if you basically, have the, if you have the knowledge you'll be able to pick it out if you don't yeah you're it's basically it. yeah it's basically uh, hide in plain sight yep and make it just disbelievable enough to get by yeah anything else. Um, I feel it's bad. interesting how he keeps choosing the little Egyptian boy. Yeah, that was probably a, a mistake on his part. Probably. Yeah. I mean, he's long dead apparently, so it d- won't affect his reputation. Using the same disguise, however, the more he uses it, the more he is likely to be found out because. People have already seen that face. Mm-hmm. I get that there is an emotional attachment thing that probably comes along with that for him. Which is why he is more likely to use it. But that Maybe. emotional attachment is going to... I don't think that's going to end well for him. Nope. However, there's also a possibility that's probably the only human form he can really take. How do we know? Yeah, I was... I was about to say we don't because um, there's this whole thing with uh, dreams that you can't dream a face you have never seen before. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a similar thing with demons where you have to have some kind of connection with a person in order to take their form. So you're telling especially me, especially like sorry, go ahead. Well, especially like a humanoid form because we've seen he can take on like cats and spiders and things like that, but maybe for more like humanoid shapes it has to be some kind of emotional connection or something so you're telling me in the existence of humanity in the in the entire existence of society he has only formed an emotional attachment with one person there's i mean maybe he's the only person that tried yeah bear in mind how demons are treated or at least how we've seen demons are treated in the society so far they're treated as subservient maybe this little egyptian boy was the first person to be like, hey, I don't do that. Do you want to just maybe be friends? See, I don't see that as a possibility. I mean, yeah, it's a possibility, but I don't see that as a possible thing on account of throughout all of history, there have been people embroiled in things like counterculture or going against the grain of society or what is considered normal. There have been people who have stood out on the outside of society and gone against what the majority want. I don't honestly think that this would be the only person that he has formed an emotional attachment with. Counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Counterpoint. Maybe he's one of the few he's formed an emotional connection with that had pure intentions when doing it. Maybe. Maybe the other people were like, I'm going to go against the grain 
because I want to, because it's rebellious. People say it's not good to become friends with demons. I'm going to do it anyway to prove them wrong. Maybe he was the first one like, you seem lonely. Would you like to be friends? Or one of the few mm -hmm. in recent history for him. Mm. Totally fair. Yep. So, anything else? That was good discussion, by the way. I really enjoyed that. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. You are shedding so much. And I mean, I try not to, but same. It's it's hard when you have really long hair. Yep. I'm gonna get your brush during the break, and okay. I know you don't like the brush, but you're a long-haired. You're not like Nugget. Nah, long-haired penguin baby. No. <laughs> so really, has anything else come up? Um, let me just do a quick overview of this chapter. It was chapter six? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that the children seem really focused on this one kid. Yeah. Like, this is once again going on the theory that maybe they aren't demons, maybe they're just kids. They might have some magical awareness. Mm -hmm. But well, the fact that they're most, they might be picking up on it and they're like, oh yeah, sure. It's just a kid. Let's definitely rob this super magical item from him. So, and, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. It's just, yeah. That brings up an interesting point, because something else that's been painted throughout the history of, our, of humanity and our society um, and our race is that kids have the ability to pick up on things that adults have, have forgotten how to see. Kids have the ability to tell innately whether somebody is generally good or not, even if they, in a lot of cases, even if they don't follow that, they are able to see certain things that adults don't know how to see anymore. So these kids mm -hmm. could very well be seeing that magical energy. And just uh -huh. as you grow up, I, I, it'd be interesting to see mm -hmm. in this world whether or not each human is born with the potential for magic and then how you grow up and you know your form and how your formative years go determine whether or not you manage to keep that mm -hmm. i mean it would explain why nathaniel is shown it when he's like six years old yeah mm -hmm. because it's around why are you licking me it's around then that uh kids so it's around the six-year-old mark where first of all kids uh consciousness yeah there's to grow their for their ideas of right and wrong. Yeah. And it's the formative years between like six and ten years old. Where mm. it's like, if you're not taught right from wrong, it's gone. Yep. You won't yep. be able to teach it. You won't have the same connections. Same thing um, with language when you're starting to learn mm. to speak. Either, like, um, specifically with Japanese and English. Uh, it's been scientifically proven that people who are raised speaking Japanese have issues pronouncing words properly in English and people who are raised speaking English have issues uh, pronouncing words properly in Japanese. But when you're learning to speak, if you are taught both equally, it mm -hmm. is a very rare few people who can speak both properly, but yep. it has to be at that point. Otherwise you lose it altogether. Yep. So it makes me wonder if I think if we're going based off this, it could be either that all people are born this ability but it has to be cultivated mm -hmm. from a young age mm -hmm. otherwise you lose it or it could be that only a few are born with it and if it's not cultivated you lose it mm -hmm. yeah i want to get uh, uh, 
damn it. I, I kind of want to do some background research into the lore of this world now, but we're not done the first book, so... We should finish, probably finish the first book before I we... I kind of uh... want to finish the trilogy before I do that, because the trilogy itself may give us some background info. There's technically a prequel book as well, creating a four-book series. Uh, yeah, it was, um, give me one second, something like The Ring of Solomon or something like that. Yeah, so oh, I have the first two books, I believe, but I've only actually read this book. Okay. So we've got The Amulet of Samarkand, The, Go uh, the Golem's Eye, uh, Ptolemy's Gate, and then the prequel, which was The Ring of Solomon mm -hmm. uh, for this trilogy. Yep. Well, trilogy plus the prequel. Yep. So. Yeah, I have this one and then on my shelf in my bedroom, the um, the Golem's Eye. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So I'm thinking we should probably call that a wrap for this episode. Mm -hmm. um, for the podcast. At for least. the podcast, yes. Um, and for Twitch, we'll be back shortly. Uh, just give me one second while we do our outro here. We want to thank you for joining us for episode 22 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast. We have, uh, we hope you've enjoyed joining us for chapter six of The Amulet of Samarkand of the Bartimaeus trilogy written by Jonathan Stroud. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Mm -hmm. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can find Lady Punnett at lanktr.ee slash paulina.avalon. You can find The Reading Dragon on Linktree at lanktr.ee slash thereadingdragon. And you can find myself on Linktree at lanktr.ee slash blazewing2010. If you'd like to leave us a voice message or you'd like to check out our podcast feed, anchor.fm uh, sorry, anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook is where you're going to go. And our website is idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. With that being said, for episode 22 of the Idiot Book Nook, I'm Blazewing. And I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And we will see you guys for episode 23. Again, thank you for joining us.